Warning, we're not medical professionals. We're just two gross weirdos fascinated by bodily functions who read too much WebMD. This podcast will contain some pretty gross content, so listen at your own risk. Gross Podcast. the whole time <laughs> we are gonna talk about boobos though <laughs> and what's the funny word from what you're looking at um it turns out ebola is not very funny <laughs> yeah there's probably nothing funny about ebola <laughs> well i was looking at some other um epidemics and the the family that chagas is, is from uh, it's called T. Cruzy. T. Cruzy. I thought it was really fabulous that um, Ted Cruz basically shares the name with a parasite. <laughs> also, T. Cruzy sounds like Ted Cruz's rap name. <laughs> what up? I'm T. Cruzy. I don't believe in abortion. I'm gonna give you chagas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Zodiac Killer. What's up? Jokes from a few years ago. <laughs> Anyway, today we're talking about epidemics. Yeah, plagues. plagues. So this is a favorite topic of mine personally. Um, I started out by watching a whole bunch of movies associated with it when I worked at a shitty video rental store that closed down this year and it's really sad. Oh, um, did it closed down? Yeah, it closed in January. Oh. It's empty. It's all empty now. I go to the Whole Foods that gentrified that area enough to... <laughs> probably have noticed that <laughs> i think that probably happens a lot during gentrification <laughs> yeah or the plagues of what or i don't know what would be a Speaking vhs plague, plague? <laughs> the plague that destroyed uh vhs tapes I and dvds it's called whole foods <laughs> it's called netflix it's, yeah, probably <laughs> uh, so i watched all the movies on diseases and plagues that i could find uh, and that is actually how I started being able to watch horror films. I bridged in with, um, sci-fi horror, and, uh, I'm super stoked to talk about it today. We even watched uh. Outbreak today to get hyped up. And to procrastinate. I am really <laughs> tired. <laughs> I'm grumpy. <laughs> now I'm here to make you more grumpy. <laughs> Um, how's your body feeling today, Katie? Tired! <laughs> I 
Also, my fingers are numb and it's weird. Oh. And they stabbed my toe. I'm sorry. It's okay. Pobrecita. It happens a lot. <laughs> Is that all that's going on with your body? Um, I haven't showered in a good two and a half days. I showered this morning. Good job. Yeah, but only because I worked out last night. So I slept in my own filth. No, that sounded like bragging to me. <laughs> um, I worked out last night. And I showered this and morning. And then I showered. I'm basically living life better than everyone else. Definitely better than me. <laughs> How's your body? Um, I've been having a really bad acid reflux. Oh. I think I told you, didn't I? Mm. Yeah. But, so, actually I haven't had it today or yesterday, but I'm drinking alcohol right now, so I might have it tomorrow. But I or during our podcast. Or during our podcast. have a little bit of, like, reflux barf? Oh, God. I haven't barfed yet from it, although I did feel for a minute that I was going to, like, like regurgitate all the oatmeal I've been eating to settle my stomach. Yep. <laughs> but I don't know if that's just because oatmeal for every meal tastes disgusting after a while. Yeah, it gets a little boring. <laughs> um, Hard to choke down. And I have a zit in my ear. No. And a zit on my neck. Oh, I always have zits on my Which neck. I hate having zits on your neck because they're impossible to pop. Mm-hmm. It made me think of, well, actually, when I was talking to Angela after the last episode and we were talking about the ball sack guy, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, the only thing I can relate to with that is like trying to pop a zit on your neck. I would assume that like ball sacks are even worse because of all the like just floppy skin or like stretchy skin. Yeah. Like, and that just, ugh, I hate having zits on my neck for that very reason. You can't get rid of them. You could probably do, like, a hot compress or something to help Well, I put hella medication on it, so hopefully it'll go away. And I've just been wearing scarves. (laughs) (laughs) Now that it's finally warm out. Yeah. Everyone's just going to think you have a hickey. Yep. Should we talk about big deaths? Big deaths? (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Okay. Do you want to tell us about boobos? Boobos. Um, that's my favorite thing about this is the word boobos. Uh, <laughs> boobos. So, yeah, wait. So, am I diving into it? Yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the Black Death um, or also the bubonic plague. Um, one thing that I found really interesting is that um, what we've learned, at least in probably most public schools in the United States about the bubonic plague is super uh, Eurocentric and is really focused on what happened in Europe when actually it has a much uh, more varied history across the globe. And um, it actually is thought to have started in Asia and probably China and um, really wiped people out, it seems like, to pretty similar degrees to what uh, you might have learned happened in Europe. Um, And so it was kind of like the 1300s when there was some really, really bad breakouts, kind of like like between the 1200s and 1300s. And at one point in the 1200s, there was a census in China that people had 120, there, there were 120 million people And then by 1393, uh, it was found that there were only 65 million people, and that's believed to have been because of the plague. 
And it actually probably um, migrated to Europe from Asia, um, possibly from a couple different sources. Um, probably none of these things have one direct route, but one of them, of course, is uh, trade routes um, between Europe and Asia. And then another, um, which I guess is a more recent finding that um, even though many of us were taught that probably rats carried the plague, uh, more new research suggests that it was gerbils from Asia. What? Yeah. And I find it kind of gnarly. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. Interesting. Intriguing. Uh, that gerbils were more commonly running around than rats. Yeah, I don't know why that is strange about. to me. But I think that they were a rodent that previously wasn't very domesticated um, and were kind of just running around Eurasia just like we see rats in New York subways. Yeah, so does that mean that there were also a bunch of gerbils running around in Europe? Or mm -hmm. did... Okay. Yeah, they like came probably through the trade routes to uh, Europe. Man, like on ever hear about ships and shit. Them. Yeah, but that was like in discovered in like the 2000s hmm. like we wouldn't have learned about it in school this was like some science beyond my capability that figured out it was probably more likely gerbils why do we blame everything on rats i don't know because they're really fucking cute and i think a lot of things get blamed on rats and actually it's not even the gerbils fault because it's actually it's not carried like by rodents mm -hmm. like the um, bacteria is not carried by rodents. It's actually carried by fleas. Mm -hmm. And so rats did spread the plague and gerbils did spread the plague, but most likely or definitely because of the fleas that they had on them. So it wasn't like a rat bite was going to give you the plague. Right. You were going to have rats around or other animals around and they were going to have fleas and those fleas had the plague. Yeah. I think about that every time my cats have fleas. I know. <laughs> well, luckily, if you get the plague now, there's like a lot of things they can do to get rid of it. So it's not um, going to kill huge swaths of people like it used to. Yeah, you're probably more likely to get little like tapeworms from your cat. Fleas. Or toxoplasmosis, which I definitely from have. Cat. Yeah. Yeah. We probably all have it. <laughs> Uh, symptoms of having the bubonic plague include mostly fever-like symptoms, um, like headaches and vomiting, and the grossest part is <laughs> you get these things um, called bubos in um, areas of your body like your armpits or your groin, um, and actually the word bubonic comes from a Greek word that means groin. Um, groin <laughs> it's the groin plague. So um, highly suggest looking at the photos on uh, Wikipedia <laughs> uh, of the bubos, uh, which are these like, uh, I think they're like swollen lymph node things that um, are just filled with the plague bacteria and they get all infected and gross and full of fluid. And... The bacteria lives, this is like my favorite sentence on Wikipedia, in the blood, sputum, <laughs> or fluid from lymph nodes. Uh, and Katie had to explain what sputum, am I saying that right? I don't know. Sp sp spatum? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what sputum is. 
um, which is basically mucus or phlegm. Um, you like cough or spit up. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you get the bubonic plague by being bit by a flea. Um, what can happen is you get these buboes, and then they get necrotic, and your skin rots. And like, just the idea that like your genitals are gonna rot you from the inside out sounds real fun. And oh yeah, <laughs> like, um, yeah, the having the plague sounded like it was pretty awful, and um, it for the longest time there was really nothing that people could do uh to stop the spread of it and people especially in the middle ages um that seems to be even though i was just complaining about how eurocentric the information out there is that was the area that it things seem to be more recorded so there's a lot of information about the plague in europe um but what is really interesting and is that it seems like the plague also spread because people did not actually know anything about how it actually worked or where it actually came from and so people did a lot of things to try and cure the plague that were actually spreading it Uh, but some of those things are hilarious (laughs) Uh, so one of the things that I looked up was all the ways that people tried to uh, cure the plague um, let's start with maybe some people have seen pictures, and if you haven't, I highly suggest Googling it, and it won't be as creepy as other things, uh, that we might suggest you Google, um, is the masks that plague doctors wore. Um, they were very cool, and they look like birds, basically, and they had these, like, long... Have you never seen that? No. Yeah, they basically look like birds. They have these, like, long beaks, and what people did was basically... I think the Middle Ages in Europe in general smelled really terrible, but especially somebody with, like, gangrene and, like, necrosis was just, like, overwhelmingly terrible smelling. But on top of that, like, people were just starting to understand, at least in Europe, um, that some diseases could be airborne. And people thought that the plague was airborne when it actually wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, You actually can't really contract it from other people. It's not contagious from person to person um, unless that person has fleas. And then the fleas would, you know, jump onto the other person. So that's more – it did, like, spread from person to person. And it spread in Europe especially because there was such huge populations, like, shoved into really small spaces. And – So people were thinking that that's how it spread. So a big part of how they were combating it was smells and like the beginnings of like aromatherapy and stuff like that, (laughs) because they thought that like diseases were carried in bad smells, which is like kind of intuitive. Like, and so then it's not necessarily wrong in some cases, like probably if something's there's like a dead body, it smells really bad, and it's our biological instinct to like not go near it because it probably does gross stuff. But so, one of the things they filled with those masks was like good smelling stuff. So the doctors could go mm. in and like have this like beak shaped mask that was like filled with all of these like flowers and shit and like essential oils and things and herbs so that like they weren't smelling this like dying flesh. Um, and also they thought it would prevent them from, like, getting the plague. But, um, 
another interesting thing about the plague doctors is that like they weren't doctors at all most of them uh they were actually hired by cities and so they were mostly con men and they would like go from city to city and like be like i could totally cure the plague and like all of these cities were so desperate that they would just hire whoever said they could cure the plague with whatever and they would just be like yeah sure just fucking help everyone we don't care we're, there's no regulations there's no anything so like mostly people were like scamming for money unfortunately uh they all died yeah they all probably got the plague so you yeah. know karma <laughs> um the other probably the most uh common uh method for curing the plague was prayer oh <laughs> Look at how much has changed. Yeah. As we all know, thoughts and prayers are the cure for all of human ills. <laughs> People were pretty convinced to a disturbing degree that uh, the plague was God's will. And that God had, uh, and this is people in Europe, I didn't find much on why people in Asia had thought that the plague occurred, but um, there is some evidence that as well in the Middle East, Muslims have a similar approach to uh, what Christians in Europe had, which was that it, God was punishing people for their sin. And so often uh, both Catholics and Muslims would tell people um, like self-flagellation and like excessive, like praying more and doing all these things to be devout would be the best way to at least get to heaven when you die of the plague, <laughs> it sounds like. Um, and then the scary, scary side of that is that um, a bunch of Catholics and Christians uh, and the Pope at the time thought that it was uh, Jewish people that were uh, responsible for the plague and uh, because they considered them heretics. And so there was some really, like, Nazi shit happening in the Middle Ages where they were, like, trying to kill Jewish people because they thought that they were the reason why God cursed the earth with the plague. And I wouldn't be surprised, I didn't do research on this, but probably that was part of German propaganda, I would assume, because I know that they built on a history of people having paranoid thoughts about Jewish folks. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really sad and a bummer. Um, but... There were, to, to bring it back up, uh, let's go with the funniest way that people tried to cure the plague. Um, actually, second funniest is uh, bathing in urine. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Ooh. We use urine for lots of things. Yeah, no, but here's the thing, doesn't cure the plague. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fun. <laughs> so how pissed would you be like, you were trying to get rid of the plague, and your con artist doctor made you bathe in urine, and... How do we... How do you, you get... still died. How do you get that much urine... I don't know. ...together? Especially when everyone <laughs> is sick. Yeah. You're just bathing in urine from other people who have the plague? Yeah, I think so. Because, oh. like, 60% of your friends have the plague... And so you're just, uh... Is it human urine? Yeah, I think it, so. I, I think that we use urine from some animals and medications and stuff. Probably. Like horses and cows. If you fill a tub with horse urine. Um, I'm pretty sure it was people urine, but I don't have much confirmation on that. 
This is equally as funny. Uh, also poop. They use poop. No. Yep. Use really? poop. Uh huh. But like poop with like other stuff. So like flowers and they would roots. make a, a potion of poop and flowers. Uh huh. <laughs> w- was it used topically or internally? Yeah, on the boobos. Poop on the boobos. <laughs> Poopos on the boobos. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really don't understand the rationale behind this poop and pee thing, um, and why people did not realize that that probably just increased infection, um, sped it up real fast. Yeah. But here's, so, okay, so before, so drum roll before we get to my favorite one, um, leeches, they also use leeches, but back then they used leeches for everything. They thought leeches would cure, um, any of your problems. Uh, my favorite one is what's called the Vickery method, uh, which was some dude named Thomas Vickery, who was an English doctor, and um, he, <laughs> sorry, it's too funny, uh, he would shave a chicken's butt. Shave? <laughs> shave a chicken's butt. Okay, go on. Uh, and or is that the whole thing? And strap it to your lymph nodes. Or your boobos while the chicken is still alive and you keep the chicken on there <laughs> till it dies or gets healthy and <laughs> wait till the chicken yeah dies? or till you die or till you get healthy um so the ch- chicken either dies or or the chicken doesn't die um and i think you just keep applying chicken butt <laughs> Until the boobos go away, which they don't. Wait, it's a it's a poultry poultice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I just love the fact that uh, that they were like, put this chicken butt on your sore. Really gonna solve all your problems. Cause like, think about that. The chicken's still alive. Yeah, so it's just pooping it's on you. It's just shitting on your open wounds. Oh, God. <laughs> Is that when we started walking around saying, what's up, chicken butt? Yeah, I think so. Probably. It's probably where that came from. <laughs> what's up, chicken butt on your boobos? Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> um, so, apparently Nostradamus was a um, a plague doctor. I didn't know that. A, like a real one or mm-hmm. a con artist? Probably both. <laughs> no, he actually had some decent ideas. Like he was like, I think you should drink clean water. Mm-hmm. Um and that was a new idea. I think so. <laughs> yeah, just don't drink poop water. I mean they were using poop to cure things. Yeah. They probably were like, That's put some poop point. in my water. Uh well, we all need B twelve, so <laughs> um let me see what else. Um Oh, yeah, and he was like, don't hang out around um, infected corpses, and he was not an advocate of leeches. Oh, smart dude. Actually, leeches uh, are are being used more now and somewhat effectively. I know. I did read about that. <laughs> that could be a whole other episode. Live animals <laughs> in medicine? Yeah. Oh, I think it's important to mention that the plague still exists and it isn't easy in all places to uh cure it um there's some areas in africa that it's really bad and um it's 
still something that can significantly impact people. And even if someone gets it now, there's still about a 10% chance that um, you won't survive, even if you're given antibiotics and stuff. But um, certainly if you're living in an area where there's not a lot of medical care and not a lot of things like antibiotics or I know even in rural areas in the U.S. that there are, area, there are certain places that it's really hard to get certain medications shipped out and um, it can be really difficult to have consistent access to reliable medical care. So that isn't to say that the plague doesn't still um, have serious consequences if it pops up today. Um, it looks like, according to one article, that it's a, it, ha it has a significant effect in the Congo and Madagascar and Zambia. And there's, it sounds like there are people um, who are really working to uh, prevent the spread of that in those areas, but it's um, really still affecting people. I just think it's really important to um, include that the plague was was one of the many diseases responsible for wiping out indigenous populations in the Americas, that uh, the plague, along with uh, smallpox and a handful of other diseases, were a big part of what just ransacked um, the people who, millions of people who lived here before um, contact with Europeans and it seems like there's all these like random different bacteria that people are claiming was the one that really, cause like oh. when you read it in like milk toast history books, it's like some mysterious diseases that the Europeans brought over just happened to kill all these people. And it also doesn't seem to highlight the fact that there was that white people caught on to this pretty quickly and we're like oh our shit kills people that we really want their land so we're gonna like give them infected shit and we're gonna drop dead bodies wrapped in blankets in these villages full of people because we really want this choice ass land and uh, on a similar note uh i started watching adam ruins everything reanimated history and I highly suggest anybody watch that because it does an incredible job of calling bullshit on a lot of the things that we learned in history class, which is, for the most part, really untrue. Yeah. <laughs> to backtrack a little bit, speaking of uh, uh, bathing in urine, <laughs> this morning uh, I went to the bathroom and then I looked... Uh, in the toilet and there was something bobbing up and down and it was my face lotion no. <laughs> I had to rescue it from the pee How and did it... wash it all <laughs> I think it fell from the shelf above the toilet oh <laughs> I, was, I did not notice it when I sat down to pee so I peed all over my my face lotion <laughs> <laughs> maybe that will make it magical maybe maybe it'll cure my plague now Oh, um, okay. I wanted to talk about a couple of different things. And um, since you talked about the the Black Death, I thought it would be cool to talk about the Blue Death, which mm. is cholera. Um, and there have been tons of cholera epidemics since the 1800s, causing hundreds of thousands of deaths like all over the world, but mostly in um, places that are developing and, um, have poor sanitation. Um, 
and it still is happening. We still have cholera epidemics, um, both new outbreaks and chronic recurrence in a lot of these places, and it's still causing 30 to 130,000 deaths a year. So, jeez. And if you're looking for a cause to get involved in, this is um, a a pretty easy one to be a part of and donate money to um, sanitation and like water purification efforts and stuff. Um, I think that's a, a cause that a lot of celebrities have jumped on in the last couple of years. So, um, is there any? You know how like there's some com- or like organizations like that that aren't actually allocating funds properly. Do you know if there's been any scandals like that? Um, I think, I think that would probably be less likely with something like this. I mean, you know, we hear that a lot um in conjunction with the red cross Mm -hmm. because they do such complicated efforts that it it requires a lot of administrative work so um i think there isn't really a a perfect model in place for how much you're supposed to devote to administration versus actual programming Mm -hmm. and um some of those models really stifle the growth of organizations too so i think it's something that has to kind of be produced organically and um, each nonprofit organization, if it if it's if it's ethically oriented and it doesn't want to run into problems like that, has to do regular self audits to make sure that it's meeting its own um, outcome goals yeah. or its outcomes, um, and and that it's accurately reporting those things or transparently reporting those things to um, its I don't know its members or constituents mm-hmm. or whoever it considers to be its um, it's stakeholders. Yeah. So because cholera tends to have, a, a more simple solutions where you're, you're, you do, you, you don't have to provide like extended housing for people in all kinds of different scenarios. You just, you go in and you build sanitation systems and you teach people about water purification and you give them the resources to do it. And, um, I think that's what makes it, uh, um, something that a lot of people, can get involved in because it doesn't take as much background knowledge knowledge or like extensive complex work as some other nonprofit work. So that's cool. Does Jimmy Carter do any of that stuff? I don't know. Cause I know he was doing like a ton of work to cure, like he pretty much eliminated some disease. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't remember what it was, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think, um, Oh, I, I think it's like, a malaria or something yeah. that we we got a handle on sanitation and all of the um the like chronic reoccurring areas that had mm-hmm. malaria issues and then um i think they also have a vaccine for it now too mm-hmm. so he may have been a part of that can we just say once again fuck jenny mccarthy <laughs> <laughs> vaccines are great <laughs> um and there are a lot of epidemics for stuff that uh vaccines do prevent things like measles and mumps and, um, you know, and polio even. So yeah. there are <laughs> there are a lot of reasons that vaccines are great, but stopping epidemics is definitely one of them. So um, anyways, let's talk about cholera. It's hella <laughs> gross. Um, what it does is it, it basically makes you, like, like you basically die of dehydration. Mm-hmm. So um, it... Uh, it comes from poop. (laughs) Um, So probably the way you should cure it is to get more poop on you, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the bubonic plague. You rub poop all over yourself. Human poop, chicken poop, 
whatever. And it's great. You know, just twice as nice. It solves the problem. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, you get it via contamination from poop, and um, it makes you have the gnarliest diarrhea. It's called rice water oh, diarrhea. Oh. Uh, because it's it's just like watery poop that looks like a little starchy, like white starch in water, and you can shit out like three to five gallons a day of this stuff. That is how much water escapes your body that quickly. <laughs> um, so you know they usually treat it with rehydration, um, and they. They might give you antibiotics, but there are a ton of different strains of cholera, so they would have to test for, like, which strain or, like, which antibiotics would respond to whatever strain you have. And um, I think it's just faster to, like, pump people full of as much fluid as they possibly can. But um, that dehydration will cause, like, your eyes to sink back. It gives you a lot of wrinkles. And your skin, especially in your extremities, can turn blue from the lack of oxygen, which is why it's called the blue death, um, as opposed to the, the black death, which yeah. comes from, like, the skin necrosis. So, yeah. um, on a side note, I, since they call this rice water diarrhea, I really <laughs> want to ask, like, why we compare diarrhea to food so much. Because I also was reading about typhoid fever, and you have, like, green diarrhea with typhoid fever that they call pea soup. Oh. And I just, I don't understand why we can't come up with anything to compare it to that we don't also put into our mouths. Yeah. Um, This is somewhat of a side note, but as I (laughs) expressed in my, in the last podcast, um, my fear of things getting into your mouth, which is then (laughs) related, uh, I had to live my personal nightmare recently. Oh no. (laughs) Um, I always drink uh, coffee out of these like uh, metal straw things to like not waste plastic. And I think, uh, I don't know what happened. But somehow one of them did not get properly cleaned. <laughs> I also drink smoothies out of these straws, and I'm pretty sure uh, it was smoothie waste uh, oh, no. that I sucked out of the straw. It was basically like a giant, like moldy booger thing. No! I have no idea how long it was in the straw. Uh, <laughs> that like ended up in my mouth and I was like this isn't fucking coffee and I like, spit it out and just panicked and like was late to work because I was like god I just needed to like wipe my mouth out with soap it was Ugh. terrible so I need to stop talking about things I'm afraid of because they just like manifest they just happen <laughs> <laughs> well yeah don't talk about pea soup diarrhea and oh, rice water gross. diarrhea then I really thought you were going to talk about how rice water or pasta water looks like jizz. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that the other day because um, I think that, like, if you use a, a, a rice cooker or something, you know, like, when you rinse your rice beforehand, that's Especially probably a lot pasta. what this looks like, except I think this, this diarrhea is, like, a little bit foamier looking, but um, that the starch that comes out of the water or the pasta is is what <laughs> what can like what um what it looks like but also we were talking about how when like when you make pasta without enough water in it and that's like the the starch content in the water is so high that it gets like s- sticky 
and viscous. cloudy and viscous and it, <laughs> it just would make like the best fake jizz if you made pasta and then like boiled down the water so it was like thicker and yeah um i don't know what application there would be for that since we're not in the porn industry but uh, maybe like some movies yeah I don't know. Probably still porn movies. I, like, like, but if you can think of a good, good special effects, if you can think of a good application for fake jizz, let us know. We want to try this out. I um, just imagine putting it in like a super soaker. <laughs> I was kind of thinking about that. Like, is there a way that you could like spitball this at people, like through a little straw or something? <laughs> Or maybe your, like, moldy smoothie shooter would be better. You just, like, pop little pieces of moldy fruit at people. Yeah. Um, but reusable straws are actually super cool, so don't let that sway you. Yeah, but I should have gotten glass ones now yeah. that I think about it. I think you can get glass ones, and I also think that you can get thicker ones that are better for stuff like smoothies. Um, I just bought some stainless steel ones, though, and I'm super stoked about it, even though I'm not really a straw person, so... I'm totally a straw person. I think I'm going to be Helps one of those quit cigarettes. weird people that, like, carries one around in my purse. So when I'm at a, a restaurant, straw. I'll be like, don't <laughs> worry about me. I brought my own. Actually, I just saw a thing on the internet about trying to encourage bars to not use plastic straws. Yeah. Because um, it really is a fucking waste. And I get frou-frou drinks all the time. So and now I feel like I do kind of want to be that person, like, when I order and be like, um, can you not give me a straw? <laughs> I know that we have a couple of bars in town who have switched to straws only on request. Yeah. And um, are trying to use compostable. Some of them are trying to use compostable straws for mm -hmm. those who do request them. So yeah. I think things are moving in the right direction. Here they are anyway. I go yeah. to other states and cities, even even other cities in, in Washington State, and I'm like being handed a plastic bag at a grocery store, and I'm like, oh, where'd you get this contraband? It feels wrong. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And yeah. I'm just like, plastic's illegal. And they're like, not here. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, I feel like we definitely still have a long way to go just even here in Bellingham and Whatcom County. Like, yeah. at my new job, people don't recycle very well. And I just joined our, our nerdy, like, green routine team <laughs> to try to help that. Because I'm the one who goes in during lunch and, like, takes everybody's lean cuisine boxes out of the garbage and recycles them into the bin that is literally right next to the garbage can. And so, I don't know. I, I think that... <laughs> We, we have a lot of work to do and a yeah. lot of education to do. And, and to teach people what actually goes in compost. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the thing that's hard about that is that's different everywhere. So, like, but, going to my parents' house, which is, what, like, three counties south? Yeah. They put totally different things in the city compost bin than we can put in Food Plus. So it's hard. One thing, though, that never would go in any of those is Mylar balloons. Oh. And at my work, at one point, somebody put a bunch of popped Mylar balloons in the compost, and everyone was like, no. what the fuck are you thinking? Of course that's not compostable. <laughs> yeah. I feel I, – th I think there is a – one of the signs up in the lunchrooms at Western I really liked um, because – it kind of gave you, like, a list of what goes in each bin, but then it also had actual pieces of trash stuck to it. <laughs> so you could be like, oh, my piece of trash looks like this. So it goes in this bin. 
And I liked that one. That's kind of what I am going to suggest we do at work. But I think that people are also like, no, we don't want trash on the wall. <laughs> I'm going to be like, have you seen my cubicle? <laughs> uh, anyway. Me too. <laughs> cholera comes from poop. You want to talk about another thing that comes from poop that's pretty similar to cholera? Which uh, which I should um, clarify is a... Cholera is a bacterial infection of the small intestine. Mm. That's what it technically is. Um, another thing that is really similar is E. coli, um, which is another bacterial infection in your intestines. Um, and another thing that you get from poop. And um, most strains of E. coli are actually harmless, and a lot of them are part of our normal gut flora. Um, they produce vitamins like K2, and they prevent colonization from um, pathogenic bacteria, bad bacteria. And there's one strain that's even used in probiotic medication for IBS to like mm. help repopulate people's gut flora with these um, productive bacteria. So, um, but there My are some cat needs that. She's just You're... getting all of these silky poops. <laughs> silky poop. <laughs> What's a silky poop? I don't know. That's what Tim started calling them. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like a uh, like a soft serve. Oh man, ice cream situation. It's because she was an antibiotics for a long time. And, yeah, and now she needs probiotics. Do they? I'm sure they make kitty probiotics. Oh, they do. Right? Yeah. I get. Yeah, you could do that. Um, and then. <laughs> You know, gut flora is something really important to to people, and um, it's it's involved in a lot more than just intestinal health. Um, a lot of studies now are looking at ways that it's um, connected to our mental or neurological mm-hmm. health. Um, and something that they do for um, some diseases that people deal with, including things like really extreme IBS, is that they can do... Um, <laughs> what what they call a, a fecal transplant. Oh, I've heard of this. Where they actually put somebody else's poop inside of you to help repopulate your gut flora. If you're missing all of the important beneficial bacteria that help break down your food, they give you somebody else's bacteria to jumpstart that. I know someone who knows someone who did that. Really? Yeah. Or who, no, I think was a donor. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I want, like, how do you know if you have really good fecal bacteria? Um, I don't know. I'm sure that you obviously can get tested for that, but I wonder if there are, like, any outward signs. Or, like, do you, does that Ghost come? poops. Ghost poops. <laughs> does that come with really positive mental health as well? Like, is that one of... I hope so. Is that some way that we're going to be treating mental health in the future is by poop <laughs> transplants? Because I uh... really like this idea. I'm sure you could DIY that. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't... I I have not actually looked into how it works. Yeah. Like, I wonder if it is, like, a really long needle that injects poop into somebody's, like, small intestine. Or is it, like, a capsule of poop that you swallow? I'm just imagining Miranda July's movie, the, like, poop back and forth forever. (laughs) Well, I think for for proper absorption, you'd you would want it near the beginning of your intestines, right? I just hope you don't have to swallow it. I I kind of wonder if you do. I mean, that would Oof. make it really easy to DIY. 
Yeah, because, like, I've put uh, vitamin powder in those little capsules. Yeah. So maybe you could just have someone with, like, who's your happiest friend, get them a shit in a box, uh, put those (laughs) in the little, uh, little capsule. Little capsules. Yeah. Take the poop. It would probably smell better than those fucking, like, herbs I got from the acupuncturist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's our future is DIY poop transplants. Um, (laughs) New cholera breakout in Bellingham, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) And E. coli. Yeah, probably. Um, So the the harmful strains of E. coli um, come from... Other sources, they come from, mostly they come from, like, hamburger and um, poop contamination in the dairy industry and in agriculture. So um, what happens is you'll have a a dairy cow who will have poop, like, on its udders, and that will make it into the raw milk. Or you'll have... uh, Why is it getting poop on its udders? uh, (laughs) Have you looked at her... (laughs) Our dairy farming industry because those cows live in like tiny boxes and they walk around in their own shit all day and I, I feel like you'd be hard pressed to find a cow that doesn't have poop on its udders um but most <laughs> milk they, most milk at the grocery store is pasteurized so it kills the bacteria like that so this is an issue with raw milk and um raw produce and raw juices that come from raw produce so like um, there was an outbreak, I think, in 1997 that was a type of Odwalla juice that was unpasteurized. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, so that came from, um, like, runoff from um, some, like, cattle land mm-hmm. into a produce field, mm-hmm. and that produce went into a juice and wasn't pasteurized to kill the bacteria, so it carried that raw E. coli. And so... Um, it can live for about, like, the E. coli bacteria can live for about three days um, outside of your body, and it grows pretty massively in those three days when it is exposed to oxygen. And then I think it kind of declines after that. So um, if, you, if you're looking for, like, a quick way to make sure something doesn't have E. coli, just let it sit in your fridge and hang out for a couple days. Um They'll cut down on the... That's, that is not uh, medical advice. That's just, like, <laughs> me trying to be logical about this. I just had the thought process that we were talking about, you know, your gut flora related to mental health and how, like, I uh, have been diagnosed with uh, basically being born with depression. And I have had uh, food poisoning more than any other human being that I know. And I wonder, like, how much those two things are related. Well, a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of the way that we treat food poisoning and, and similar conditions is with, like, really intense antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And one thing the antibiotics do is they wipe out most of the bacteria, including mm-hmm. all of the beneficial bacteria. And so that's why a lot of people have you take probiotics at the same time mm-hmm. um, to, to help keep that replenish and help keep you able to... To digest your food properly, so um, I maybe that's is a part of why you consider those to be such an important part of your regimen is yeah you need that. So um, also a cool thing is that is like one of the hypotheses for why we have appendix is mm. appendixes is that appendices? they're appendices. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. If that's is it correct. the same plural as like a, an appendix in a publication? Uh maybe. I don't Who knows? Know. I don't know. Maybe because it 
and maybe it's the same word. It's it's, some, <laughs> it's something appended onto your intestines. But um, they're these little like tiny treasure chests <laughs> in in your um, intestines that potentially hold like a a um, an, an like emergency seed packet of intestinal bacteria. So like it could be designed so that if something does come through and wipe out your gut flora, your appendix would then like release its seed packet into your intestine to repopulate it with like I like the idea flora. of it being a seed packet. That's yeah. so cute. Like you know we have our our um like frozen seed bank in Svalberg. It's like the, the, <laughs> That's our appendix. The appendix is your own seed bank. So <laughs> we think it's a theory. Um, I think it's a pretty good theory. I like it. You're like, we think. I'm one of the scientists on that I'm study. not a scientist <laughs> at all. Um, on the note that I'm not a scientist, uh, I would like to post a small correction to one of our <laughs> previous episodes where we were talking about sepsis. And mm. I said that sepsis is when your, your, your immune system just, like, gives up. And when I was reading about, um, these, uh like viruses and bacteria for today, I learned that I was totally wrong and that is not what sepsis is. Ooh. Sepsis is when your immune system actually attacks your body. Oh. So it I think it just gets it gets so overwhelmed by what it's it's fighting that's foreign that it just kind of starts fighting everything. Well doesn't sepsis happen like for example if you have like a tear in your intestines or something and like bile gets into the rest of your body and it's getting like spread throughout and so then your body kind of just panics and it's like I gotta kill everything because this bile is everywhere yeah I think that that can that is one of the things that um can bring sepsis on but that like when your your gut leaks into the rest of your body either by um like a, a trauma or a tear to it or whether you have like leaky gut syndrome because you um, because of a like bodily response to food you can't eat like um, I think that's part of what celiac is. Mm. Um, that's that's why it produces an immune response is because like the interior body cavity um, isn't designed to uh, handle what comes out of your intestines, so um, it can really confuse your immune system. But that like. We don't have a lot of treatments for when that scenario happens, for when your your immune system starts to attack your own body. Um, and so that's why people who reach the point of sepsis are usually, like, medically a lost cause. Because mm. it's, I mean, I, we don't, I don't think we, like, you can kind of, like, try to shut down somebody's immune system. But at that point, like, then they have nothing left to fight what's, what else is ailing them, so... Uh, maybe this is a good segue into talking about how I had E. coli when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so, oh, so the, uh, the, before we get into that, the, we briefly mentioned that one of the things E. coli comes from is from contaminated meat, um, especially hamburger. So, like, if you eat a steak, you can eat a steak rare as long as the outside is cooked because it's, it's like a um, an encapsulated uh, 
slab of something like as or long you as you could cook... never do that because it's fucking gross yeah <laughs> but as long as you cook the outside you're cooking all of the parts of it that would be contaminated so you would sear that and then the inside can be rare and you can enjoy that in whatever way people enjoy meat i don't but <laughs> um but when you cook hamburger you like you're really supposed to cook hamburger until it's well done because it's not encapsulated like that so whatever contamination you have is mixed throughout it so you need to make sure the center of your hamburger is cooked um up to temp and in washington state i think that's higher than other states it's like you're supposed to cook it to 155 or 160 degrees um whereas in other states it's as low as like 130 or like the federal guidelines are like 130 or something i remember i haven't taken a food handler's permit since i was 16 yeah it's it's i didn't even realize that there were different federal and state regulations for that for something as as basic as like cooking one thing that there's different regulations so um part of the -the jack-in-the-box outbreak from 1993 is that they were flouting the the state requirements of cooking hamburger to 155 and they were using federal regulations of only cooking 230 and also um, being a sleazy fast food restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So they, I mean, after the Jack in the Box E. coli outbreak, they like completely um, like reorganized their company around safety, around food safety and revamped everything. And, and that is like the only reason that they still exist today is like that's an example of what needs to happen when your company has um, an issue like this. And, you know, that's something that, I studied while I was getting my business degree. It's like these responses to um, like stakeholder nightmares or whatever you could refer to them. So I was a part of the Jack in the Box outbreak. Um, And when I was doing research on this, I realized it wasn't quite as big as I had imagined. Um, And that there were only about like 730 people who got sick. Um, I thought it was more in the thousands, but um, it turns out certainly how the media made it sound. I'm more special than I thought. (laughs) Um, But um, a lot of people got sick in 1993, and I was one of them. And um, you could get sick either by eating the infected meat or by by getting that infection passed from someone else. So I don't really recall my family eating at Jack in the Box, but... I was seven at the time, and, you know, like, elementary schools are a petri dish of contamination and (laughs) gross bacteria passing, and so I probably got it from somebody else who got it from Jack in the Box. Eating their poop. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I was just (laughs) munching on poop all day in second grade. Um, But I was, I think I was sick for about a week before I went to the hospital, um, because it, it's it's vomiting and it's diarrhea and um, nausea. And I think it, it probably took about a week for my parents to realize that it wasn't just some, like, run-of-the-mill food poisoning or something. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that happens is that your, like, parts of your um, intestine get, like, inflamed and c- kind of, like, rupture, like, the, the wall Mm. Not to the point that it is, it doesn't, uh, well, I see how I want to say that. Like little capsules rupture or? So it's it's not rupturing like out into your body cavity, mm-hmm. but it's it's rupturing like in. So you have 
um, you're bleeding into your intestines, mm. and so you have bloody diarrhea. Like when you your eye ruptures, like the capillaries, the capillaries in your eye. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I guess I don't really understand like what kind of capillary system we have in our intestines, but maybe it is similar. I bet you when we have that butt doctor on. Yeah. She might be able to explain it to us. <laughs> We're hoping to get a butt doctor. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. As a guest. We have a fucking surprise in the works. <laughs> <laughs> We're really excited about it. Um, so if you like butt stuff. <laughs> all kinds of butt stuff. Anyways, so I started to have bloody diarrhea and then I went to the hospital for two weeks and um, I was in an early bird case, um, so they didn't actually know what it was. They just knew that my body wasn't, like, adequately fighting it on its own, so I needed help. Um, and popsicles. And, and popsicles. Um, and I was really lucky because I went to a doctor who put me on, like, a, a rehydration program. So I was just on an IV drip, and I was eating popsicles and chicken broth and stuff um, all day, every day for, like, two weeks um, until I, I like, I don't even remember if I got put on antibiotics or anything. I think that that just helped my body to clear it by itself. And a lot of people do in that whole outbreak where 730 people got sick, only four people died, which, um, I mean that obviously it's horrible that anybody died, but, mm-hmm. um, most healthy people can fight off E. coli, um, by themselves. It's, like most other diseases it's or um, conditions, infections, it's a problem for people who are very young or very old or immunocompromised in another way. So um, all of the people who died were really young. I think there was like a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and two like very young. Um, infants. Mm-hmm. And obviously infants aren't eating hamburgers, so um, yeah. they must have been contaminated by somebody else. So, or like, if you are feeding an infant a hamburger, like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe I th- rethink well, I your think, parenting. I think one of the kids that got sick, um, their parents worked at Jack in the Box, and so like oh. they were coming home and feeding them food, and then um, the that kid got sick, and his parents were really afraid to tell the kid's daycare that the kid was sick because mm. they were working at a fast food chain and like didn't really have many options sure for daycare. That they were like you know, not so great off economically. Yeah, and... exactly. And then this kid got another kid sick at daycare and that kid died. <sighs> so that's like one of the reasons why we need um, systemic changes to give people sick days and give people like days yeah. to stay home and care for their, their family members who are sick, which our, our current Washington laws allow you to use your sick leave to care for family members and stuff like that's really important. But not everyone gets sick days like that, and um, not everyone can afford different childcare yeah. solutions for when things like this arise. So, well, I think too, it's, it's important. It's more than just allowing people to have sick days. Like every job I've ever worked, even ones where there's a lot of work being done to have a really healthy work culture, there is this really intense notion that like you're better than other people if you don't take that many days off. Mm -hmm. Like, you are a harder worker. Like, you're more reliable. And there's such, like, a cultural element to it, too, of, like, if you're not, like, taking care of yourself. 
I feel like people don't, re- like, especially, like, bosses and things don't realize, like, the repercussions. They're just like, yes, this is awesome. This person is always here. They're not ever bugging me. And that stuff gets reinforced in, like, you know, subtle and not so subtle ways so that people feel like they can't take time off to care for themselves because they're afraid they're going to, like, let people down or they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they fight through it because they want to be, like, you know, the kid in elementary school that gets a perfect attendance badge. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, Last thing I want to mention about E. coli is that it doesn't always come from food um, I mean, obviously, if you can, you get contaminated by people around you, but um, a lot of the E. coli outbreaks that we've had have occurred at petting zoos and animal <laughs> barns at county fairs. So <laughs> wash your hands. Um, wash your hands a lot. And uh, to, to bring another uh, contested theme back, if you have a snake, uh, really make sure what? that you wash your hands because they can carry lots of bacteria like that. Whoa. Um, beautiful pets, highly recommend them, but uh, really make sure you're taking care of uh, your skin that touches uh, the, them little creepy crawlies. Creepy crawlies. <laughs> um, cool. The last condition that I wanted to talk about today is um, totally my favorite epidemic or type of epidemic, and that is <laughs> Ebola. And, um, I don't really know why I like Ebola so much. Um. Because it's absolutely fucking terrifying. It is terrifying. (laughs) Um, Jessica definitely peppered me with some would you rather questions before we did this (laughs) about would I rather get Ebola or the plague. And every time I was like, the plague, the plague, the plague. I don't care if I have to bathe in my own urine or strap a chicken butt to me or whatever. Like, Ebola sucks, man. Um, but it, like, like any other um, natural disaster, I guess, it, it is uh, awesome in the power that it has. And um, we watched the movie Outbreak to get uh, hyped up for this because it's one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, Kevin Spacey dies in it, so it's okay. But <laughs> yeah, fuck Kevin Spacey. Um, Turns out, just because uh, you're gay doesn't mean that you get to rape people. Yeah. Um, but Cuba Gooding Jr. is pretty red. So yeah, he's pretty sick. And I, I love <laughs> Rene Russo. And um, anyways, I feel like that movie I like in particular because it it touches on a lot of really important issues surrounding stuff like Ebola. Um, like the the political implications of like what you do with a disease that could be used for biological warfare, mm-hmm. and um, that that's probably something I didn't think about the first couple times as I was watching <laughs> it, and I was just like, "Ooh, people bleeding! It's sweet." Um, but I love the scene where Morgan Freeman like gives the uh, information about how to like stop the planes or whatever and the other guy's like why the fuck did you say that you just gave them like the oh the best way to like uh (laughs) prevent this from happening and then morgan freeman just looks at him like yeah i fucking know what i did (laughs) you're like he's a good guy yeah of course he is (laughs) um that movie is awesome and i will watch it with you anytime (laughs) um and i like that movie so much that i got a tattoo of the virus from it on my butt which we talked about last episode the virus that they they use in that movie is is also the ebola virus um but the the version for the movie because it's a movie they had to make it more dramatic 
Um, they like way sped up the incubation period and everything. So regular Ebola, I think, has like a, a like six ish day incubation period. Um, but the in that movie, it's like a six hour period or something. So, but um, it does come from Africa. It was first discovered in Zaire in 1976, which is the current day um, Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, the most likely reservoir for this um, virus, where it comes from, is probably fruit bats. We don't know that for sure yet, but that's our our going theory. Um, So uh, a lot of times people will get it um, initially, like patient zero will get it by um, eating fruit that was also partially eaten by one of these fruit bats or by eating the bats. Um, A lot of times they are... Um, hunted and cooked as bush meat. So, um, <laughs> which I don't know why is a word that very much entertains me. Bush meat? Because yeah. it sounds like a euphemism for a vulva. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, Without I, your bush meat. The, the concept of, of bush meat as, as meat kind of like grosses me out, but <laughs> I, I, I find that its connotation with uh, a vulva makes it like more easier for me <laughs> to talk about. Um, I get sad at the idea of eating bat of people eating bats. Yeah, well, I think they're so cute. Some yeah, some are cute. <laughs> I really want a pet bat, but it turns out that's the worst thing you could ever do for a bat is yeah. keep them as a pet. Yeah, trust me, I did the research. Oh. <laughs> But those, like the ones that live in Australia and stuff, they look like they—they're like little dogs. They're Heads so cute. on top those of those huge ones. Yeah, they're yeah. so cute. I like the creepy ones too that have little upturned noses. Yeah. Um, they also carry things like rabies, so don't get a pet bat, or don't try to pet a bat if you find one. That's definitely how I'm gonna die. Yeah. Is that gonna... <laughs> like that time I got bit by that goose? Um... <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> if you see a bat, I follow I, I follow a bunch of bat pages on Facebook because I also think they're really cute. But that's one thing they say at the end of them is like, if you ever see a bat by itself, it's in trouble and you're supposed mm. to call um, like wildlife rehab or, or animal control or something. So um, don't if you see a bat by itself, don't go touch it because um, it's probably in distress, but also it might have rabies and it... it you know, probably here it doesn't have Ebola, but there's always a chance. Um, so if you don't get it from a bat, you probably get it get it from another person, um, and it spreads by contact with bodily fluids, which is generally semen or breast milk. Um, yum. Yum. <laughs> yum, yum. Um, and we, we don't have a, a cure for it. We don't have an approved vaccine, although there are uh, quite a few experimental vaccines, and there's one in particular that has been proven effective but is not FDA-approved yet, um, despite it being announced as effective in December of 2016. I feel like uh, an Ebola vaccine is, like, one of those things that you would kind of want to rush through the approval process, but um, apparently not. 
Uh, however, keeping the uh, vaccine in order to <laughs> cause worldwide panic uh, and yeah. make everyone dependent on the United States for the cure that's going to kill everyone. Yeah, I mean, maybe this goes back to like the political implications <laughs> where like, oh, if we treat everyone for it, then we would never be able to use it as a biological weapon. Yep. But um, fortunately, they have been allowed to use this experimental vaccine on an emergency basis in places that have had recent outbreaks, like in Guinea and the DRC again. So um, there was an outbreak as recently in the um, Democratic Republic of Congo in December of last year. So they're oh, yeah, still happening. They're still popping up uh, kind of like the some of the other conditions that we've talked about. Um, you can help yourself by drinking a lot of water, but uh, it, there, there's not a great chance of surviving in a lot of these outbreaks that um, death toll can be as high as 90%. Um, and, um, a lot of these outbreaks, especially the, the plague that Jessica talked about, um, were, were largely responsible for keeping our population at a manageable level for a really long time. And because we are, so much better at dealing with a lot of these outbreaks when they happen. Um, not that there couldn't be another big one, but um, that has that's part of what has allowed our the human population to explode over the mm-hmm. last like hundred years. So that's part of why I got it as a tattoo, because <laughs> um, I really feel like there, like it exists for a reason, um, and it's just sort of this like reverence for mother nature that I have and I guess I mean I not that I hope people die but (laughs) (laughs) like I I feel like maybe that's one of the things that is going to save this planet is that yeah uh, we are going to have a resurgence of outbreaks to bring us back under control yeah I feel like that kind of thing it's really complicated but I I mean because you also have uh, like televangelists being like, God's coming down and giving us AIDS because you know the gays and whatnot, and like, <laughs> but like, but I think there is a real thing to it being a sort of ecosystem population control. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I didn't talk about was like, there's a lot of stuff being re- that has been written about the plague in Europe that it's sort of like allowed for. Uh, there to be a lot of advancements in civil in like that civilization, like that it kind of created a middle class as a result because mm-hmm. you um, all of a sudden had less of a population, but you had these like burgeoning urban centers, and so then these people who were like previously incredibly poor were able to like capitalize on that situation, and it sort of rose up a bunch of people who um, weren't doing very well previously just basically because there were too many people and not enough jobs or you know places for people to sort of belong in society and once that kind of thinned out then you had more opportunity available to people that's really interesting i wonder if if that works in reverse too and and this um the the great efforts that we've had in mitigating epidemics have contributed to the like loss of our middle class in yeah. more developed countries. 
I mean, also though colonialism. Yeah, I'm. I feel like it's <laughs> it's probably like a very tiny part of it, or like that has allowed colonialism to flourish in the way that it did. But um, I don't know. Colonialism brought a whole bunch of these diseases to people in the <laughs> yeah. first place. So you know, that's part of it too. Um, one um, one thing I wanted to talk about is is not specifically Ebola, but is part of the same family of um, viral hemorrhagic fevers. Um, are the Cocolitzli outbreaks in Mexico. And those were in the 1500s when the Spanish invasion basically brought um, a very Ebola-like disease to uh, the indigenous Mexican population. And it killed up to 80% of the indigenous Ugh. population in all of Mexico, which was like, like the up, it killed up to 15 million people um, in, and that was like in the, the second Kokolitzli epidemic. And there were 12 of them. Jesus. There was another one in 1576 that killed like 50% of the remaining population. Um, and it just kept happening and it happened a lot after drought. Cause there was a, a type of mouse called the Vesper mouse. Oh, in that Mexico, sounds a lot that, cuter than it probably is. I know. I mean, I looked it up. It is really cute, but not so cute when it's, like, going to make you bleed out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, these these devices or these um, diseases are, like, really intense. <laughs> and, like, the fact that they can almost wipe out. They, I mean, they, I'm sure they have wiped out entire populations in history. Mm-hmm. And maybe those are things that we don't even know about or have recorded. Yeah. Um, and that they are, I mean, I feel like the, you know, like maybe the Spanish invasion didn't intend to kill people with disease. Um, but once people figured out that this worked, obviously it's something that they did start doing on purpose. So, um, yeah, well, one of the things that I was saying, like when we were doing research for this is like, how ironic is it that there's part of what like the crux of racism is, is this idea that like people of color are like dirty or they like, you know, bring with them some sort of vices and um yet it was literally the white people that came over to Americas that brought and, all these horrid diseases yeah. that like just wiped people out and it's like, hey dudes, it's actually quite the opposite. Like yeah. <laughs> these people are not like disgusting, disease-ridden, like, you know, populations. Instead, it's actually you that's bringing along these horrible epidemics. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. Uh, the the most recent outbreak that we had um, was the Ebola virus again in in the, the Zaire Ebola virus, the same one that we discovered in the 70s. Um, was the West African Ebola outbreak, which was which lasted from 2013 to 2016, and that one killed over 11,000 people. So um, there's there's still some large amounts of people dying to this, and we should be paying a lot of attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out here to our friends in the band Marv, who are really rad. Um, I want to say I see you, and I know that your name is particularly great because it's a variant of the Marburg virus, which is another viral hemorrhagic <laughs> fever. <laughs> Um, which which has no known treatment and kills up to 90% of people in multi-case outbreaks. Um, and MARV is um, kind of interesting because it has been weaponized by the Soviet Union, although I don't think it's been used ever. It's only killed people in um, accidents in their biohazard labs. Oh, so Jesus. Yeah. 
Marv, cool Hello. band. Check them out. <laughs> also, cool disease. Check it out. <laughs> is, is it a, wait, is a disease just something that like Oh. You, can you is it a virus? Does a vi- if you catch a virus, I don't does remember. it become a disease or a condition? I feel like this is probably a basic thing you should get a handle on. Yeah, it's been a while since 8th grade science. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure there's a difference between, like, disease and infection and all of that stuff that uh, feel... uh, I guess it's a good segue that uh, if you you feel like... uh, we're big idiots that uh, don't know what we're talking about in any capacity. Let us know. And you're you are a scientist or a doctor or, or an eighth grade science or, teacher <laughs> or even an eighth grader that uh, <laughs> has won some science fairs. Uh, feel free to email us at uh, grosspodcast at gmail Yeah, be on our show. Yeah, make fools out of us. Yeah, we're here for that. We will have a special little corrections uh, segment to uh, address all of your hate mail. Uh, it'll probably not be, like, a section, though. It'll just be, like, in the middle of everything else yeah. like I did earlier. But, <laughs> like, if you are a cis white dude that's just telling us not to talk because we're women... Well, actually... <laughs> we probably won't pay attention to you. Yeah. Um, but you can try. <laughs> <laughs> try all you want. We like those page views. Um, so, Ebola... Uh, has a lot of similar symptoms as the other things that we've talked about. Um, your blood doesn't clot, so you bleed a lot. You get, like, bruises all over, which is, like, bleeding uh, kind of under your skin. And then you can bleed in the whites of your eyes. You bleed in your yeah. gastrointestinal tract. And you basically bleed out of, like, every orifice you have. Um that's a good face you're making right now. <laughs> I seriously had nightmares about this as a child, and I don't know why, like, it's like a really young child. I don't know why by, like, four years old someone let me know that Ebola exists in some capacity, and I would just, I, I backtrack to that whole me being a morbid child of depression, would just get obsessed with Ebola <laughs> and the concept of bleeding out of all of your orifices. It was probably really creepy to talk to five-year-old Jessica being like, did you know that you bleed out of your anus and your mouth and your eyes and your ears and probably your fingernails all at the same time? Ooh, fingernails. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you get to the bleeding point, you're probably going to die. Um, there's That means there's like too much of you that can't put back together. So... Um, because the people who were dying were, like, bleeding everywhere, um, the, this, this is another issue of contamination, um, uh, because, um, there's, there's, uh, like, poor sanitation in, um, burying a lot of these bodies, or even, like, with burial rituals where people have contact with dead bodies, so, um, part of what we do to try to mitigate the, um, ex- like, expansion of an outbreak is to, kind of like send in organizations that um help with the burial process just to make sure that it it is sanitary um and it uh ebola is not currently airborne it is just uh fluid contact only but you still have to wear all this like awesome protective gear working with people because you can get sprayed with blood yeah that's how bonkers the the bleeding can get um so they pretty much just isolate people who have it um during treatment and um part of that is like 
they do contact tracing. So anybody that um, someone has been in contact with also needs to be isolated, at least until they can be sure you don't have it. So um, on a, a kind of related note, I think since we're talking a lot about like the nonprofits and things that like go into other countries, because usually those nonprofits are like U.S. or like U.K. based. And um, I think I don't have specific like articles to like reference to, although maybe I'll try and find some to put on our website. But I know that like when I was in grad school and stuff, I read a lot about how many of these efforts to like fix problems that are happening in the like quote unquote third world. Um, I know that's not the best term for it, um, but they're sort of the result of uh, like European expansion and like colonization sort of wiping out populations that had like traditional methods for taking care of a lot of these things. And so I think it's important to like, I don't know, not to point out that we're not necessarily like promoting like an idea that like, oh, Americans have to go into Africa and like teach these backwards people how to like do things right. Uh, Because really it's America or it's like white people cleaning up their mess that they went into these places, created this infrastructure and then realized it wasn't working, bailed out and sort of left a lot of these countries in horrible shambles um, after for generations, um, just depleting them of a lot of their natural resources, destroying agricultural land because they didn't know how to use it properly because they weren't familiar with the same ecosystem. And so there's all of these things that were like traditional medicines and traditional practices that were destroyed and that probably (laughs) Europeans didn't show up. I think that most of those places would have been able to handle their own shit. And there's probably really amazing PhD thesis written about how it's, it's all our fault. Yeah, it's (laughs) totally all our fault. (laughs) So if you're a white person who's like wondering how you can do better, um, at, at least like monetarily donating to one of these organizations yeah. that goes into places like Africa to help clean up what is our mess mm-hmm. uh, is a great way to do better. Yeah, and look for ones that are trying to collaborate with like uh, practices that kind of already exist and that are uh, sort of rising or raising up the cultures, cultural aspects, you know, in the way that they're um instituting these scientific practices because those are like the most effective methods is when they're um integrating uh the current culture of that area into um these practices that might um help improve conditions yeah um i think that's it yeah yeah i mean i feel like (laughs) just talk about buboes for a while yeah is that that's that's all we got that's all we got well don't forget to air out your buboes and your vagina. <laughs> and put a chicken butt on your sores. Strap strap a chicken butt on you. Chicken butt strap on. What's up, chicken butt? <laughs> we good? Yeah. Yay.